The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 14th chapter. The Gospel is printed in the back of your bulletin, and you may follow along in your pew Bible on page 827. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you are all things possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Our preaching text this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapters 32 and 33, selected verses. Uh, you'll find it printed in your bulletins, or if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, we are in page 26, 26 this morning, beginning with verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country, and to your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and the faithfulness you have shown your servant, for only my staff, with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him, that he may come and, and kill us all, the mothers with the children, Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. So he spent that night there, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch, um, milch camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he delivered into the hands of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the foremost, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all those who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself spent the night in camp. The same night he got up and took his his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. 
for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket and the thigh muscle. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah and her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Word of God, word of life. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we have moved now quite a ways from last week's story, from Genesis chapters 18 and 21. Last week we heard the story of Abraham and Sarah and the child named Isaac born to them in their old age, just as God had promised. In the chapters in between that story and our story for this morning from Genesis 32, there's a lot of action. We have the story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his precious son Isaac, only to be led away from that command at the last minute. There's the story of Isaac managing to finally get married and have kids in his old age. A story about the struggle between these two twin boys, Jacob and Esau, how Jacob exploited his brother's foolishness and um, traded him his birthright for a bowl of soup, and then later tricked his dad into thinking he was Esau and getting his share of the blessing. A story of how Jacob ran for his life to receive a blessing from God in the form of a vision, a vision that we call Jacob's Ladder. And just a few chapters before this one, there's the story of how Jacob himself got tricked into marrying both Leah and Rachel and all the children that flowed from it. If you've if you've never read or heard those stories, or it's just been a while since you've heard them, might I recommend you read Genesis chapters 22 to 31 in, in the coming days. They're astounding stories full of adventure and drama. But today we focus our attention on chapter 32 of Genesis, just into chapter 23, by hearing the story of how Jacob got his limp. Now, we've all met somebody with a limp. Maybe you yourself have a limp. Now, nobody goes looking for a limp, um, but limps can remind you of a moment or the lifetime of work that led to that limp and are often worn as a badge of honor, right? Maybe the limp is an old war injury and it's a reminder of the privilege of serving one's country in a costly way. Maybe the limp is a sports injury and every creak is a reminder of that day when your body used to move with such grace and precision uh, maybe the limp is the cumulative effect of a lifetime of work, a reminder of the gift of work, of a gift that not everybody gets, right? A job that put food on the table, helped put your kids through school. Now, I'm not saying that all limps are good or that those who have them never wish they'd go away, but limps can be a reminder of 
God's presence in your life. And so Jacob's limp was like that. He actually got his limp by wrestling with God. But of course, I can't tell you just that story. I have to tell that story in context. You have to understand the day that Jacob wrestled with God by hearing it in context. So after 20 long-suffering years away from home, working for his uncle Laban, marrying two women, having a pile of kids, Jacob is now on his way back to the land of his ancestors, back to the land his father had given him. Well, the land that his father had mistakenly given to him, thinking that he was his older brother Esau, which is a fancy way of saying he's on his way back to everything that he had stolen 20 years earlier from his big brother Esau. So the last time he'd seen his brother Esau, his brother, to put it bluntly, had wanted to kill him. Kill him for stealing the birthright, stealing the family blessing, kill him for the sleazy way that he'd gone about it, right? Whatever Esau didn't have going for him, he did know a liar and a cheat when he saw one, and he wasn't afraid to say how he felt about it. Worse still, Jacob had even profited from being a fugitive, while working for Laban wasn't exactly something he'd recommend as a way to get started in life, he did find a way to get quite a bit of wealth and family from old uncle Laban. You might remember, Jacob left home with nothing but the shirt on his back. And he came back like a prosperous tribal chief with wives and children and servants and livestock as big as a small army. It was an impressive sight, and Jacob, I think, was counting on that counting on impressing good old easy-to-take brother Isaac, but he's about to find out that a lot's changed in 20 years. Now, he sends, did you notice in the story, he sends kind of a bribe out ahead of him, some sheep, rams, bulls, donkeys, other property, try to calm Esau down, you know, make the dumb, hairy guy happy, right? And then he sends his family ahead of him, too. That's typical Jacob, always seeing others for what he can get from them. His family is uh, like a shield to protect him from Esau. If the bribe doesn't work, maybe Esau will calm down in the presence of women and children, you know, that kind of thing. But as Jacob stays back in what he perceives to be the safe spot in, uh, in this uh, zone that uh, he thinks is uh, pretty secure, what happens? He's met by what Scripture describes as a man, but we know from looking at the story, this isn't a man. This is... This is God himself, or at the very least, an angel that showed up on behalf of God. And God has not come to comfort Jacob in a vision as he had 20 years earlier. He's come to rough Jacob up. They wrestle all night long. Jacob, who has spent his whole life grabbing what didn't belong to him, has a pretty good grip and is a pretty good wrestler. And he refuses to let go of this heavenly being until he gets a blessing. Now this heavenly being must be pulling punches because all he's got to do is kind of reach out and sort of tap Jacob on the hip and the whole bone goes out of joint. And uh, Jacob still refuses to let go. He's stubborn, right? He's, he won't let go until he gets a blessing, which is so like Jacob too. He's so caught up in blessings, he's determined to get them at any cost. Stealing, cheating, grabbing, whatever it takes, right? And Jacob does get his blessing from God, though he walks away from that blessing with a limp. 
And Jacob's encounter with the Almighty has changed him, I think, in more ways than just his hip, too. It seems to have affected his whole being. For the very next day, Jacob finally gets to meet Esau, and somehow, somehow things seem easier to understand in the clear light of day. He wakes up, he joins his family, and then he sees Esau coming toward him. And Esau's not alone. He's got 400 men with him. But this time, instead of playing the coward, instead of hiding behind his wives and children, he tells them to stand back while he goes on himself to meet Esau, alone and defenseless. It is easily the gutsiest thing Jacob ever did. The only time he tried to do anything when he didn't know for sure what the outcome would be and that there was something for it, in it for himself. He just went on to face the brother that he had cheated and betrayed having no idea what was going to happen next. And it's here that the storyteller turns the lens away from Jacob and focuses on big brother, estranged brother Esau. What will this rugged, manly, impressive Esau do now that Jacob gives him the chance? Especially after he's had 20 years to think and stew about it. It surprises you, doesn't it? Esau ran to meet Jacob, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept, the story says. Needless to say, that was probably the last thing Jacob was expecting, the thing he probably never even dared to hope for, that the brother he had treated so despicably might not only forgive him, but do it with such heartfelt tenderness. To me, Genesis 32 and 33 are about so much more than Jacob wrestling with God. These chapters in Scripture are the story of Esau's graciousness and forgiveness. Old Red, right? The brother with more appetite than brains. The macho man who could have crushed his brother's skull with his bare hands. The idiot who gave his brother everything he had for a bowl of stew. Gives old Jake the snake a million times more than he deserves once again. Only this time, not even for a bowl of stew, but for nothing at all. Not because he's dumb, but because he's gracious and wants to bless his brother in this way. To me, this is the high point of the story, of which that famous struggle of Jacob's the night before is only the anticlimax. No doubt about it, Jacob saw God face to face in that nighttime wrestling match. He experienced God in that struggle. But when Esau comes with unexpected grace and forgiveness, Jacob says that seeing Esau's gracious face is like seeing God face to face. In other words, whatever blessing Jacob may have received at the river Jabbok because he grabbed onto it and wouldn't let go, he saw a blessing in the tear-drenched face of his long-lost brother Esau that was his only because it was given to him. The love of God and the love of a long estranged brother belong together. And both his blessing from God and the blessing from Esau have changed Jacob. The one has affected his hip, the other has affected his heart. So my prayer for you this morning is twofold. First, I pray that God would inspire the graciousness of Esau into the hearts of those you have wronged that you might find in your relationships the forgiveness and love that comes when someone you've hurt 
or cheated or beaten down with your foolishness, just looks you square in the eye, forgives you, embraces you, and puts the past behind you in such a way that you too see in them the face of God. And second, I pray that you might be given grace enough to have a spirit of forgiveness like that for others. You know the hurts you carry around, the way that others have harmed you, kicked you in the teeth, betrayed your trust, harmed you in deeply personal and embarrassing ways. To forgive such things may seem in this moment unthinkable, but my prayer is still that you might receive grace enough to do it. For as you do, those you extend such grace to will see the face of God. Of course, it's impossible to walk away from those kinds of encounters without limping, emotionally, if not physically. We still carry the scars of the wrongs others have done to us even long after we had the courage to forgive. And it affects us deeply when our relationship with someone else is first and foremost rooted in their graciousness, their ability to forgive our past errors. But in those encounters, we experience God. As Jacob found out, encountering God changes us in big and powerful ways. But should we really expect anything else? Jesus himself still bears the scars of the crucifixion. His hands, his feet, his sides still bear the wounds that make forgiveness possible at all. But what a beautiful way to walk with a holy limp. A limp that reminds you with each step you have lived life in God's company. A God who has been in your midst as you struggled and blundered and have wronged and have been wronged. And most of all, a God who has shown you his face in moments of grace. Grace extended to you and by you, just as God has forgiven you too. So walk the walk, people of God, even if it's a little limpy. In Jesus' name, amen.